You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. your hands if you're not already let every heart be holy ground is that your prayer tonight that he would just completely embody you he would come in and we begin to saturate this place in the presence of God right now God show us your glory show us your glory we can't even imagine what he can do under the finite human mind we cannot imagine the things God can do in your life, in my life, in this place tonight. Our human minds can't even comprehend what He can do. Jesus, hallelujah, we worship you, God. Isn't He a holy God? Aren't you glad you know Him tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, worship team. You did a great job ushering us into this presence of the Lord. It is my absolute honor to be able to take this pulpit. We have a great ministry team here, and I give honor to our pastor and Brother Roberts and their wives. And I invite you to go ahead and take a seat. We'll stand here in a couple more minutes. Before I get started tonight, I'm going to echo what Brother Robertson said this morning when he said, when he prepared for this morning's message, he had to preach it to himself a little bit too. And I can tell you that this message definitely challenged me, and I hope it does the same for you tonight. Um, I just feel to let the youth know, not that this message is for anybody, it's not for anybody else, it certainly is for everybody, but I promise you, if you tune in tonight, you're going to get something out of this message that's going to help you with your walk with God. You're at an impressionable age where God can begin to work with you in a way that maybe he can't with somebody who's far on in life and we have less uh, to offer in terms of the years we're going to be on this earth. But if God can begin to work with our youth in a way that he hasn't before, only God knows what can happen. Listen to these. Petting zoo owner pleads guilty to 23 child sex crimes. Halloween masked gunman ties bartender to pool table. Man pleads guilty to killing woman in home invasion. An inmate sent to hospital after an assault. Alone and exploited migrant children work brutal jobs across the U.S. Three teens shot after reception to mourn 15-year-old slain at school. A pregnant woman run over as she attempts to save a toddler from car thieves. An 11-year-old caught driving on an Ontario highway after a night playing Grand Theft Auto. Woman flees to a gas station after allegedly being kept captive for a year. Man charged in hate-motivated assault on women in Hamilton. These are all newspaper, news headlines from various cities around the world. 
And in fact, some of them, you may know, happened just in the communities we live in the last couple of weeks. If you're paying attention, it doesn't take very long to realize we live in a very, very dark world. It doesn't take long before you realize that we have a bleak situation, a world where people will do absolutely anything to get ahead, a world where lust is rampant and vanity is expected, a world where Christian values are mocked and laughed at, a world where people are quick to anger and slow to humility. This is a world where people are driven by their emotions and constantly, and youth listen to me, being fooled by their feelings. That's the world we live in today. And it's in this type of world, in this environment, where you and I may ask, is there really any hope? It's in this type of environment where people look and say, I don't see a way out. There's darkness everywhere. It's a bleak situation. I wonder right now, if you could just stand to your feet. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he bless this time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for the presence that has already been so thick in this place. God, I believe I have a word for this church from you, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these humble lips, God, and you would help me to portray it in the way that you would have, God, less of me and more of you. I pray that every life and heart and mind would be penetrated by your word tonight, God, and not a person would leave here unchanged in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Amen. I'd like to share a scripture with you tonight that's very familiar. You can go ahead and be seated. In John chapter 1, starting there, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of man, and light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. The scripture says he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Yes, there's darkness in our world, and it's very real. And when we consider the headlines that we read tonight... It's not just darkness that's being portrayed, but people clamor to read it. When you go to our newspapers, and our head, nobody goes to a newspaper. I don't know why I'm saying this. Nobody goes to a newspaper anymore. When you go to your phone or your computer and you read these headlines, these news headlines, you know, I, I believe that there is, an, in fact, a worldly agenda to make sure we can get as much bad news into our headlines as we can. And, and, and as humans, we begin to crave after the next thing that kind of awes us. Wow, could it really get this bad? 
And so when we begin, we begin to realize how dark things are around us, the truth is, is that there's only one place to go, and that's the eternal Word of God. And you say, why? Well, it's, it's, it's inspired by God, and in it we find the answer to this darkness. And we know that answer as in the man Jesus Christ. We know the answer is the Holy Spirit, because the Scripture we just read said that He is the light of the world, that the darkness comprehended it not doesn't even understand when light comes in. Have you ever gone into a pitch black room and just something turns on and it illuminates the room? The darkness can't comprehend the light that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's go to a very uh, familiar portion of Scripture in the, in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We're going to look at some of Jesus' words tonight. And this is the ever-popular Sermon on the Mount and we certainly don't have time to go through the whole thing, uh, but let me just provide you with some Coles notes for you, okay? Um, Jesus, somebody, somebody laughed because they remember Coles notes. Did you cheat for some exams or something in college as well? Those little, were they yellow books? It was like I didn't study all semester, so I'm going to cram it into one night. They were called Coles notes. You could buy them at the bookstore. Why do I know so much about them? We're going to look at the Coles notes. Ver- I hate really, you know, uh, you know cutting down. <laughs> what I didn't cram for this sermon, I, I promise you that. Um, but let's go through some Coles notes because we'd be here all night. So, uh, Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus is calling his followers then, and he's calling us today to the highest standards of conduct. He challenged us, you remember this scripture, to turn the other cheek. He commanded us to love our enemies to forgive those who do us wrong, to act with the purest of motives. He said there are two roads. There's one that w- that's wide that leads to destruction, and there's one that's narrow, and it's a road that leads to life. And he calls all that follow him to choose to be a godly influence in the world that they live. And the truth is these are tough commands. Love your enemy. Do good to those. Turn the other cheek. That stuff's not easy to do. These are tough commands. And this next scripture right here is what I want to hone in on tonight. I want to unpack this scripture just a little bit. Here are the words of Jesus to us. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt hath lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's a rhetorical question in the scriptures because it's answered in the next statement. It is no longer good for nothing. In other words, its salt can, its tastiness cannot be restored. It's good for nothing, thrown out and trampled underfoot. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do man light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's kind of odd, the scripture, that the majority of it is talking about light. It's talking about light and how we are to be a light that's set up in a high place and we illuminate things around us. And and it's talking about light, but it starts, Jesus starts the scripture by talking about salt. He gives a salt analogy. And pastor, I believe six or eight weeks ago, preached on salt. Was anybody here? 
I wasn't, but I listened to it online afterwards, and it was very good. And we're going to kind of take another approach or another step to it tonight. He talked about how in the Old Testament, no sacrifice was given without salt, and then he paralleled it with how we are, in fact, salt, so every sacrifice we give is ourselves. There's the Coles Notes version, okay? Tonight, we're going to talk about what that sacrifice looks like as we parallel it to salt. So he uses the salt analogy. And why does Jesus use salt? Well, the same reason that he used all sorts of other parallels, um, as you start to dissect Scripture, you realize that it's even more applicable in the day that they lived. He always uses applications that make sense for the audience. Does that make sense to everybody? So we're not necessarily going to, you know, some of the things that we look at when we talk about salt tonight aren't necessarily going to be 100% applicable today. We may not use them as much but they were very applicable to the audience that Jesus was speaking to that day, and we can learn something from it. He uses this salt because they could relate to it in the culture that they lived. So according to the Salt Institute, does anybody know that there was a, there's a Salt Institute? It exists. Read it in the Coles notes. No, um, there are 14,000 different uses for salt. So we're going to look at 1,000 of them tonight. I meant to say this when I got up here, but the spirit was moving and it just didn't seem right. This is not a cup of coffee for anybody who's wondering, okay? I am not breaking rules here. Okay. 14,000 different uses for salt. We're not going to look at them all, promise. But we're going to, for the sake of time, talk about five key uses of salt and how it relates to our walk with God. Did you know that in ancient times... Salt was incredibly valuable, more valuable than it is today. In fact, it was so valuable that sometimes Roman soldiers were paid with it. Okay? It comes from a, a, a word called salarium, and sal equals salt. Today, sometimes we say this about a lazy person. It's all going to make sense for you now, okay? Young people probably don't know this, this phrase, but he's not worth his salt. You ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that before? That's where this connection's from. All right, it's from the word salarium. It was a salary. It was used to pay people. Um, he's not worth his salt. Ladies, you understand I use the word he there, right? He's not worth his salt. I'm not talking about any lazy women today. So today, sometimes we, we talk about this lazy person. One, one reason was that it was so much more valuable back then because pure salt was rare. It was difficult to find. Most salt was ga gathered from evaporation around the Dead Sea. And it was mixed with other minerals, so it wasn't pure. This is a statement from an expert salt chemist at Morton Salt Company. There are more uses for salt than any other substance on earth besides water. It's used in almost every facet of food, drug, agriculture, chemical, Industrial uses. It's used in just about everything. It is the Earth's second most youthful, uh, useful substance. Um, now, salt is the only rock you can eat. Now, some parents here are like, no, 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 that's not true. I've seen my five-year-old Johnny eat stones out in the driveway. That happened, and it wasn't salt. <laughs> salt is, is formed in the shape of crystals like snowflakes, 
every crystal is uniquely different. I just stop here and say for a second, this is, this is for free, this one, okay? You're different, and that's okay. God, God wants you to be salt. You're different than the person next to you, and he has unique characteristics and things you can do and people you can touch in your life that nobody else can. There's a reason we're unique. Embrace it. Don't reject it. You don't have to be like the next person or whoever they're showing on Hollywood. You need to be like you. And God will help you be the best you you can be. We're unique. The human body does not manufacture salt, although it must be taken in. Um, We have much greater access to salt, so it's not as expensive as it was and it used to be. And even though it's in great supply, the world cannot live without it. Here's the first one. Let's talk about five things. Here's the first application. You are valuable to your world. Just as it was in the days of Jesus, where salt was valuable, I believe that the message in the Scripture here is as valuable as salt was in the day in which Jesus Christ walked this earth. You and I are just as valuable in the kingdom of God. Remember, salt was used for money. So Jesus was saying, you're the salary. You're the currency. You're the worth. You're the fortune of this world. One of the greatest compliments that God gives his children is found in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 4, where God says, I love you because you're precious in my sight. You're precious in my sight. Now, salt is precious in a different way than than diamonds are precious. Every lady that has a diamond on their finger for marriage is saying, thank you, I didn't really want a salt rock. A costly jewel is valuable because it can be admired, can be worn as jewelry. But salt is valuable because of what it does. There's a different value here. In the same way, we aren't valuable as showcase saints. That's not God's intention. That's not the parallel that's being made here. We are not to be admired. We are to add value to our world and get in touch with the world and do something in the name of Jesus Christ. So remember that you're adding value to your world because God says you're precious in his sight. Now, this next attribute, another use of salt in Jesus' times, was to keep fish and meat from decaying. Now, salt to some extent is used today, but it's not the lone contributor in preserving foods. Um, And we all probably shouldn't eat as many of those foods that are being preserved with the use of salt. But in those days, they didn't have refrigeration like we do today. So they used a method of using salt to cover fish and other meats to preserve it. And up until about 100 years ago when the fridge was invented, salting meat was the main way it was preserved. So Jesus, he ministered along the Sea of Galilee. He understood this very well. He understood that fish would be salted and dried in a particular state, and and it would keep for months. And when salt is applied to meat, a chemical reaction occurs. And in the reaction, it slows down and stops the natural decomposition of flesh. Simply put, salt is a way of stopping flesh from rotting. Does somebody know where I'm going? The personal application here is very clear. I can influence my culture 
from moral decay. As a Christian, I can influence my culture to preserve people from decaying morally. We are living in a culture of decomposing flesh that's rotting more and more as the years go on. That's the environment we're we're living in. Things to be be considered obscene and profane are are now accepted as ordinary. One of our main jobs is, is to be a positive force of decency in the world. Now, there's some goodness in our culture, and our job is to see that it is preserved. We must be the ones who stand up and say, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to give in to that issue. I'm not going to do that. We have to stop the decomposition of our culture. We have to be the ones that stand up. Martin Luther King was correct when he said it this way, the church is to be the conscience of a nation. We're to be the conscience. Our role here as salt in a rotting culture won't make us popular. We might be labeled as narrow-minded, maybe even as extreme as Bible-thumping. It's not going to make you popular. Has anybody ever got salt in a wound? There's only one reason why I still remember this story from when I was a child. I, I, I can picture it yesterday. I ran from the beach. I, I had to be only five or six years old. And I decided to dive into two or three feet of water. And so I naturally put my hands out to stop the progression of my head hitting the ocean floor. Unfortunately, there was a shell that decided to do war with my hand. And I still have the scar today. And I remember today because that stung something fierce. And I remember going to the, to the doctor or the nurse, and she went ahead and put a needle right dead center in that cut. Um, salt doesn't always feel good when it comes in contact. You know, our job is to me be the, the moral conscience of a nation, and it's not always pleasant. When society and culture is... is uh, in a dry place, in a, in a desert, when we're in Death Valley, it's the church and the salt that can refresh, rehydrate, restore. We can be that. And the truth is, is that we shouldn't have an approach that's going to be offensive to anybody. We should be careful. We should be wise. But it might not be comfortable. When salt touches a wound, it's not comfortable. We have to be the salt in the earth as it relates to preserving flesh. The third is the one that I'm sure you all knew I was going to hit tonight. It's probably the favorite one. How many like salt on their food? How many, how many would prefer not to eat, or to eat food with no salt? Has anybody ever done that before? How bland is that? How many like sweet and salty together? That's where it's at, right? It's those uh, chocolate-covered pretzels. I think they're called gold. Yeah, the black package. Those are good. So that's how most of us use salt today, right? You might use it to put in water and gargle with when you're, you know, have a sore throat or strep throat or something. But most of us just use salt in some capacity to season our food. 
We put salt on everything. Um, I wonder who the first cook was who, de- who, de- who decided that salt would be a good thing on their food. We know it was an awful long time ago, thousands of years ago, because Job 6.6, 6, one of the oldest books in the Bible, says, is tasteless food eaten without salt, or is there flavor in a white of an egg? The answer, that's no, without salt. Uh, we've all tried to lose weight at one point, right? Egg whites. Here's the application. I can make a personal impact on a bland world. That's right. You can be the flavor in a very bland world. I can make a noticeable difference. It it seems that the terminal illness of our culture is boredom. Just go on the bus anywhere and watch as people just scroll. It's actually humorous. If you just put your phone down for a little bit and watch other people, you realize how ridiculous we look. And it's at its very, you know, smallest sense, if you will, that's us just being bored. It's like, are we okay with standing and just thinking for once? We have this thing going on in our culture where there's this need to be activated and our mind to be activated and we need something to do and it's just it's mind numbing you know people without a powerful walk with God are so bored they have to look for the next extreme sport they have to look for the next thrill ride the next high to satisfy a craving or something exciting but compared to the unspeakable joy of the Lord the world is just plain bland it has no flavor. Jesus said the Pharisees were like the blind leading the blind. We're like the bland leading the bland today. We, we should live the kind of lives that add zest and flavor to the world around us. We should spread an infectious joy and hope to a world that's desperately seeking some kind of meeting. Salt, if, if you pull out salt and you put it on the table beside your meal and you go ahead and eat your meal, did it do anything for it? Not yet. It's got to be in close proximity, right? It's not going to make any change. We've got to get close to the action and make sure that we're having an impact. Um, You know, think about when you pour, when you you spread, don't pour it. Uh, You know, that jokester that turns the salt shaker top off and then the next person pours it all over their food. But just when you sprinkle salt on your food, it kind of disappears, doesn't it? just disappears. It dissolves and it becomes part of it. And think that that's a great lesson for us today. When we're in a salt, when we're salt in a bland world, we give ourselves away. We give ourselves, we lose our lives, if you will, for their sake. So if you and I are salt and we're applied, we don't worry about what we look like or what we may have had. We're just, we're interested in impacting that. When we truly apply our lives to a sinful world, we've got to be willing to lose our lives for the sake of Christ. We've got to say it's not about me. It's not about my opinion. It's not about my attitude, my notion, my agendas. It's about Christ. I am willing to lose myself for the sake of Christ. I have to be salt. I'm willing to be nice. Why? Because I'm salt. I'm willing to be friendly. I'm salt. I'm willing to to reach out because I'm salt. That's what Jesus meant when he said, for whosoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it 
That's what he's talking about. Is that we're not concerned about ourselves and, and our own success in this world. We're concerned about the lost. We're concerned about making a difference. So we have to be valuable in this world. We're the salary of this world. We have to preserve decay. We have to apply ourselves and have an impact on people in a way that has a positive impact on a culture. We have to be willing to stand up and say no. We have to be a flavor enhancer. Have you ever noticed that when you... Has anybody gone to like a, a ball game? Is this okay to talk about a professional sports game here, brother? I should have asked that question. Nobody. <laughs> this, is, this is dangerous. Nobody said... Okay, well, this is what happens. Um, if you were to go to a, a ball game, you've heard this. You know, popcorn, candy apples. You've heard, yes, who wants popcorn? No? My goodness. Guys need to get out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, this is what goes on at a ball game, all right? Um, the, the reason they're giving Cracker Jacks and popcorn and candy apples, why? Salt. Why? It's all about money. Why? How much are you going to pay for that Coke, sister? Six bucks, right? Yeah, that's right. They got a monopoly there. You're not going anywhere else. Can't walk to Ron's convenience store to get that one. So Cracker Jacks and a bottle of Coke are going to run you 15 bucks. Salt is the catalyst for thirst. I don't know about you, but I don't like sitting down with a bag of Ruffles and without a Coke in my hand. It's a catalyst for thirst. You know, it, 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 it put this way, I can make others crave living water by my lifestyle. That's true. This leads us immediately to the obvious personal application. I can help others crave living water. We live in a world that is spiritually dry, spiritually thirsty. People are frantically looking for something, other, something else to quench their thirst. They can't even identify it. They don't know what it is. But boy, when they come in touch with it, they know something happened. You know, one day, I like the story in the Bible, Jesus sits down with a lady at the well, a Samaritan lady. And he starts to have her conversation about water. And in reference to the well that she's standing at, he, he talks about water and he explains that you can drink that water, but you'll thirst again. But then he explains that if you take the water that I have to offer, you'll never thirst again. And here's the great part of the story. Her life was changed from that moment. From that moment... Salt is a catalyst for thirst. Let me just break it down this way to you. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody just looks at you and says, why aren't they stressed out? I don't understand why they're so calm. Why they seem to have it all together. Of course, we're a swan, right? We're all calm on top of the water and underneath we're just paddling, but as Christians are real good at faking it at times. No, all kidding aside, Jesus Christ makes all the difference. It, didn't we just sing that? Wasn't the last song? What's that line, sister? Where, where is Sister Laurel? Jesus, you change everything. You know, when you were singing that song, what I thought was we have all these problems in our world. Sickness. Addictions. All of these issues, and every one of them has a different solution. Isn't it amazing when we come into the presence of God and as a child of the King that we've got one solution? 
It's not complicated. You don't need a doctorate to figure out how it is that your solution gets fixed, how the answer comes to your question. It's just one solution. Jesus, you change everything. So she said, give me some of this living water. And the living water changed her life in that moment. In the same way, we're surrounded with people who are searching for something to quench their thirst. We are the salt making them thirsty for living water. By the way we live, by the words we speak, people want to know what it is that makes us tick. Paul wrote, us, wrote it this way. He said, let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer anyone as people watch your life does it make them want to drink of the living water that's a really good question to ask ourselves right we get up in the morning not just Sundays at the at the altar but when I go out and walk the halls at school I walk at work when people when my neighbors see me Get my kids in trouble. Do they see Christ? Do, do they see something they envy? Do they see something that they're interested in? I think a lot of times when we look in the mirror like that, it's a call to action. I need to make a change. I need God to help me. I'm going to have the music come back as we work through this last point here. I, have a couple, I, I need a couple of volunteers, young people. Come and help me here. If you don't volunteer, I'm going to violently tell you, so. Come on up. Two. Run. Don't get injured. Do it safe. Come on, both of you. You're, okay, we got two. All right. You guys didn't realize this, but, yeah, you're going to uh, pick those all up. Uh, hold on, hold on. Slow, slow down. Slow down. Slow. Wait, 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 wait. You need to wait for instructions here. You guys are going to get fired before you ever start. All right, I want you to find, there's 50 stones there. Absolutely not significant at all. It didn't matter. I just, I guess that's my OCD. I needed to know how many were in there. Um, so I want, you to, I want you to grab those stones, and I want you to put them in the center of that, uh, of that rag or cloth there. Can you do that? And while you're picking up the stones, just make some observations. Take a look at the stones. Enjoy their beauty. Okay? Now, everybody else, pay attention to me. Don't watch them. After Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Are you with me? All right. After Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he devoted the last two additional sentences to talking about what happens if salt loses its saltiness. There's an interesting context to his words that will help us understand his statement. In the time that Jesus walked the earth, we talked about it already, Salt was not pure. In fact, it was along the Sea of Galilee, and you see a picture of it there. Thank you, Marilee. People would, as these gentlemen are, get down on their knees and hands and knees, and they would pick up salt crystals that were mixed with minerals. And they would collect these. That's good. Thank you. I'm coming back to you, so don't, don't go back to your phones. Okay? They would collect these pieces, these minerals, salt crystals. They'd put them in a cloth bag. 
Does anybody know what they would do with this cloth bag? This is what they used to cook. I did the best I could. I wish I could have bought one cloth, but I had to spend $12.99 on about 100 Church need any cloths? I also have a whole container of river stones if anybody has a vase at home. So, people in that day and age would take this, this sack of salt crystals mixed with minerals, and as they're cooking their stews and their soups, they would dip it in, okay? And it would soak up some of that salt. And of course, the meals would become more flavorful. And eventually, they would just continue dipping it. But it only had so many dips before it was pretty ineffective. And eventually, this bag of salt crystals, all that was left was minerals in kind of a molten condition. And so when the scripture says it's when salt has left, lost its saltiness or its flavor, that it's to be cast down and trodden on feet, that's, that's what happened. They would, this is why it was meaningful to the people that day and age. They would take that sack and they would take those minerals and they would use them. They would use them. You guys have to come and get this at the end of service, okay? They would use it maybe on the steps leading up to their home, the pathways. In other words, it was only good for pavement. It got me thinking. When Jesus said that we're to be salt in the earth, and he challenged us, right? It was a rhetorical question. How does salt gain its saltiness after it's gone? There's no answer. It, it can't. You didn't have pure salt. There wasn't any making that any, like you weren't going to make that sack of salt crystals any saltier once you'd used it 20 times. It's just going to get less and less salty. Jesus is challenging every one of us to be pure salt. The kind of salt that can be applied and every time you apply it, it, it doesn't get less flavorful. But it's consistent. Guys, where are you? Where, where are the two that helped me out here? Come on up here for a second. One of them's up here. Both. One right here. Keegan. Come on up. What did you guys notice about some of those stones that were in there? Keegan, what did you think? Say the word beautiful. It's okay. The girls will still like <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, they're shiny. Nice. You'd probably pick them up if you're on the beach, and oh, this is kind of a nice stone. Yeah, you'd skip them. You'd skip them. Okay, there's some flat, shiny ones in there that we probably would have skipped across the water. Go ahead and take us. Point I want to make here. Make here. I'm going to pick better Hollywood actors next time. Um, if, is that when those minerals go in the bag, they don't necessarily look terrible. Just because they're not part of the salt, they don't look bad. In fact, they can look pretty appealing. Brother Donnie, the things sometimes we put in our life can look pretty appealing, not necessarily helping enhance the salt flavor. The Bible says that the pleasures of sin last only a season. And these things that we put into our life sometimes... They are not optimizing our saltiness. 
I'm going to get real here for a second and understand I'm preaching at me while I preach at you, okay? Let's do it together. But if we are truthful with ourselves and we say, God, I, I don't know that I'm closer to you today than I was a year ago. We better ask ourselves how pure our salt is. If you're okay with things today that you had convictions about a year ago, maybe you should ask, how pure is my salt? Man, if we're okay kind of standing around at at work and just being in the room when a dirty joke is told and we don't walk away from the crowd, is that ruining our testimony? Young people, maybe two years ago you wouldn't go to a party, but now, well, I'll go and I'll be the Christian influence there. I would challenge whether your salt is as effective as it was. God's call as salt is to be pure. And that's the message in that scripture. Is if salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be thrown down and walked on by the feet of man. I don't know about you, but I want to be effective in the kingdom of God. I, I, I want to I make a positive influence in the world that I live. And I want to know that I'm as close to God today as I was yesterday. To maintain our saltiness, we have to maintain our purity. That's what makes the difference in the world. In the early years of, of Apple, why don't you stand up with me? tonight and we're going to come around this altar I'll invite you to make your way to the altar right now in the early years of Apple computers the founder Steve Jobs was trying to recruit John Scully he was the president of PepsiCo maybe some of you knows the sto- know the story Jobs put it to him this way he issued a challenge to Scully he said do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water Or do you want a chance to change the world? And it worked. And if that's true for Apple computers, it's a thousand times more true for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Long after every iPod and iPhone and computer is disintegrated into dust, our mission and our message will still be eternally important. We have to make an impact on our world. Salt is powerful, but it's absolutely worthless if it makes no difference. So why don't we just get out the salt shaker in our life tonight and say, God, I, I want to make a difference in my world. Could I ask every eye to closed right now and every every head bowed? I think it's an appropriate time that we just recommit ourselves to the work of Christ. I wasn't entirely sure how this message would end, but I feel feel the Spirit wants people throughout this congregation right now to recommit themselves to the call of Christ in their life. If you think you're here today and you don't have a call, my friend, you're wrong. There is a call on your life. Every one of us have a call on our life. We're to be salt and light in the world. Lord Jesus, we love you. 
There is no, no place we'd rather be than to be in your presence, God, where you make the difference in our lives. God, I pray for every individual that's here tonight, God, that there would be a deep unction of the Holy Ghost that would rest in this place. And God, it would propel us to the place where we just want more and more of you. God, our prayer tonight is less of us and more of you. Would you take the things out of my life, God, that are stopping me from drawing closer to you? God, I want to be a greater influence on the people around me. And God, if you're calling me to be something, God, I want to be that for you. Lord Jesus, I love you tonight, and I want to be effective in your kingdom, God. Help me to be salt. Help me to be salt and light in the world. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Why don't you worship with the team here as they begin to sing? Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.